This is the Daily Roll Call Podcast, talking Tennessee with Kathy Henners. Hey, welcome to the Daily Roll Call Podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Henners. Today, along with our producer, Bobby Curley, over the last several days, county and city mayors have overstepped their authority by issuing orders that are mandating wearing face masks. While the police have been told to only educate those in public not complying, there is a criminal penalty, penalty which uh, seems to be a Class C misdemeanor and a fine for not doing so. Among all the other issues our police are dealing with already, how are they handling this new detail? Here to answer that question is Metro Nashville's Police Sergeant James Smallwood, who is also the current president of the Andrew Jackson Lodge of the Fraternal Order of Police. Hi, James, and welcome. Thanks for being here. So what is the current role of the police uh, enforcing this mandate? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, look forward to having this conversation. And, uh, you know, masks are, are uh, something that are new to American society. And it's interesting in, a, in an environment in a time where uh, we are seeing police being criticized for over-policing in our community. Uh, we have legislators who are drafting legislation who are going to require us to over-police in our society. Um, I, I do have concerns about what this may lead to. There will be some folks that do not want to wear a mask and it will, uh, in an enforcement situation, it will it'll create an environment where law enforcement will look like the bad guy. Uh, I trust our police officers to be professional. I believe that they know how to use discretion and I trust that they will use the appropriate level of discretion uh, when looking at whether or not this is something they can enforce. And also, when you read the law, it's virtually unenforceable. Um, you know, all somebody has to say is, I have a medical condition preventing me from wearing a mask, and we can't ask any more questions. Uh, there, there are so many different loopholes to keep up with in that legislation. Uh, there's a lot of concern surrounding the position that we've put law enforcement in as the, you know, draconian enforcer of wearing a mask. Yeah, and that's very unfortunate because you've got your hands full already and, and the community is very divided. We hear this all the time, the anti-police rhetoric. And so, you know, it's, it's like they're using, like you said, they're using the police to enforce something that really isn't enforceable, but yet kind of um, further divides that opinion between, you know, what people think of the police. Um, you've always got your pro-police supporters, but, you know, in this case where so many people feel it's unconstitutional, um, it, it really isn't fair to be putting you guys on the spot in, in doing that. Have there been any issues uh, to this date as far as have any arrests been made that you know of? Um, or is it being more enforced other than just educating people on the street? No, I think right now it's a, it's an education campaign. And, you know, something we also have to think about uh, Nashville is a tourist-based city, so folks are coming into this city and may not realize that there's a mask mandate. Are there signs downtown? Are there warnings to our tourists that say, hey, you may be cited for violating the, the law that requires you to wear a mask? Are they being informed? So, of course, uh, the last week, I believe it is, maybe a little bit longer, law enforcement has been tasked with advising and educating the public, saying you are required to wear a mask. Uh, keep that in mind. I don't think citations have been authorized as of yet. I believe that uh, at some point in the near future, you will probably see a message from the department saying officers have been authorized to use citations. But again, if the public isn't educated enough, uh, we encourage our officers to make sure they're using the appropriate amount of discretion so that we're not seen as the person enforcing a law that people don't even know about. Yeah, that, that's going to be a difficult one. And I hope that it kind of just goes away. Uh, like you say, it's a tourist, um, you know, destination for sure. 
And the last thing we need is to, you know, kind of be pushing people away, uh, especially in this time with a, you know, 32% tax increase. It's not something we really want to be doing. Um, all right. So kind of switching topics a little bit. Um, the calls to defund the police are obviously getting louder and louder uh, by our activists and certainly, you know, liberal elected officials. Metro Nashville really hasn't been the victim of that yet, I believe, since they did pass the budget and they did include uh, the police department in that budget. But if the time comes that it does occur, you know, even in part, how will that affect the Metro Nashville department? So, you know, here's the problem. Um, Policing is bipartisan. It's not liberal. It's not conservative. It's not Democrat. It's not Republican. Uh, But we are seeing a big push from a small group of people that want to defund the police. And quite frankly, uh, that is a disaster, a recipe for disaster. That is um, chaos and uh, anarchy coming into our city and taking control. Uh, If we don't have law enforcement officers to respond to folks whose houses have been broken into, to respond to victims who have been robbed or raped or victimized or or terrorized by their community, our community will continue to deteriorate in a a state of less public safety for the rest of our city. Um, We are thankful that the the leadership of this city saw fit to fund the police department fully. For, For years, we've not been fully funded. Uh, a myth out there is that we received additional funding. Actually, we were just fully funded to the budget that we've had in years past. Um, I can tell you that when we see the movement to defund police in the, in the numbers that they're saying they want to see, um, the only way to accomplish that is to reduce the level of staffing within the police department. What does that mean to the community? That means increased call wait times. That, me- that means delayed responses to critical incidents. That means police not being there for hours when seconds matter. And uh, that should be a concern to everybody, whether you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. Everybody should be worried about that in the city of Nashville because it makes our community less safe. That's what I don't understand, too. I, I mean, not only is the safety an issue, which is huge because that's what, you know, we are police. That's what we do. Um, but I don't think people understand the gravity of losing training. You know, police officers, we, I'm sure you're the same way, but we had to do uh, 40 hours of in-service every year in various, you know, current topics. Um, you know, there are, are, are there trainings that we are required to do mental health and, and et cetera, communications. Um, but then it also affects, I believe, services that you provide. You know, you're talking school resource officers. So how will schools um, maintain their safety? I think nowadays that is a huge, uh, you know, thing to, to have a police officer within a school. And then certainly mental health crisis. You know, we go with the mental health teams. Um, and then, you know, you just think about things like traffic accidents. You know, are people going to start drinking and driving? And if that happens and there's an accident, there's no one there to to take care of that. I mean, there's so many things. Um, but, you know, my first thought was training. I mean, training is so important to police officers. And I don't think people understand, um, you know, the gravity of losing our training. You guys, did you ever get your cam- body cameras? So, yeah, yeah. Um... 
Body cameras have been a, a topic of debate in Nashville for several years. And if you'll remember several years back when this started, the FOP, uh, myself included, came out and said, look, we don't have an issue with the concept of body cameras. It's going to show our police officers doing a very professional job day in and day out. And it's also going to show the community what we face on a daily basis. But body cameras are a very expensive program. And we shouldn't be taking money out of our employees' pockets who are working hard day in and day out to fund it just for a small group of people that want it. It's ironic that now that we've fast-tracked the program, that Mayor Cooper has worked out a, a deferred payment deal with the body camera program folks, um, that now we're getting them, we're equipping officers, and we should all be equipped by the end of the year, hopefully, um, that the same people who demanded body cameras are now saying, we don't want those cameras, it's just gonna be the, the, the surveillance state now. Well, you asked for them. And now, they, now yeah. they know that these cameras are going to show law enforcement doing a professional job day in and day out, and it's going to show the public what we're facing, the challenges we face, and the difficulties we have to overcome day in and day out. And now they're saying, we don't want those cameras anymore. We don't want officers to be showing everybody exactly what's happening. That is amazing. I'm not surprised at that. You know, it's, it's kind of the... The same thing with the protest. You know, they don't want police, but they, they want to be protected, you know, by the police. I had mentioned training, too. Is is any of this being affected um, by training? I take it you guys are still doing, you know, the in-service training that you're required to do. Um, has this talk of any of this defunding, has any of this brought anything to a halt in your department? Well, like we talked earlier, we, we mentioned that this department has been fully funded, right? So we have not seen the impacts of any kind of defunding measures. Of course, training is expensive. We are the first in line, officers are the first in line to say, we need more training. We want more training. We need to be better equipped. Um, all that stuff costs money. And uh, the city realizes that some of the folks in the movement do not. Uh, they think that we can defund the police and the, and the police will still be as effective. Uh, we can fund all these other social programs. And, and you know what? Law enforcement has been the dumping ground for every failed social program, for every defunded social program. When we deinstitutionalized mental health illnesses in this country, we dumped that into the laps of law enforcement and said, here, you resolve this problem. We're not going to give you more money to resolve it, but because you guys are the closest arm of government to the public, we want you to handle this when it becomes a problem. And when you call law enforcement, you should expect a law enforcement response. We're not mental health counselors, but we do the best we can with the training we have. And you know what, when they, when they do have us take mental health patients to a place like Mobile Crisis, who's supposed to deal with these issues, guess what? We have to stay there with those counselors to ensure their safety. This is not an end-all, be-all. We don't get to drop them off at the front door and then and check in and go back to work. We have to stay with them to ensure safety because you know what? Something bad could happen. So saying that we're going to defund the police, we need to remove staffing from the police department to fund these special programs so that counselors can resolve crises. Uh, that's putting everybody at bigger risk. And I don't think the social workers, I don't think the counselors want to see an environment where they have to deal with that without the protection of law enforcement. I'm sure you're right. I, I remember uh, very clearly uh, some of the calls, you know, mental health um, calls are very difficult. They can turn very violent at any time. And, and I remember very well, um, you know, some of the incidents that occurred after we had them uh, on their way to the, the mobile crisis unit and within that unit. I mean, we were alone. We had to check our weapons 
Um, so we really didn't have anything to help us out, but we had to stay with that patient and with that counselor. And I'm sure it's the same way with you. And, um, you know, people just think, you know, we wash our hands so quickly of these things. And that's not, you know, not the case. I would imagine right now morale is kind of bordering on low, uh, especially with the guys that are out there, you know, when the protests are occurring. I don't think people understand what it's like to have someone literally in your face spitting or degrading you or, you know, threatening you or whatever. Um, so I would imagine that's affecting the morale. How is this affecting recruitment? And, and overall, how many officers are you down? So, yeah, let's talk about uh, morale. Morale is at an all-time low in police departments across the nation. Why? Because we're not making a whole lot of money to do the job. We're doing a very difficult job. We're highly scrutinized, and we should be, but we're also uh, given expectations that simply cannot be met, right? So, and now we're asked to work 20 and 30 days straight, come into work on our days off, be away from our families so that the community that we come in willing to risk our lives for day in and day out can cuss at us, can degrade us, can spit in our face, can throw bricks and bottles and fireworks and explosive devices at the law enforcement officers, at the folks who are willing to die for the very strangers that are screaming in their face. Yeah, would that affect your morale? It certainly does law enforcement. Uh, recruitment and retention. Can you imagine being a young person coming out of college or, or going into the workforce and turning on the news and seeing the unfair treatment of law enforcement, seeing the highly scrutinized position they're put in, and frankly, not, not reasonably? Can you imagine being that young person and making the decision, I would like to do that? No, of course not. Any sane person is looking at the TV right now going, wow, I would never want to be in their shoes. I do not want to be in law enforcement. I do not want to be a law enforcement officer because that's not the way we treat each other. That's not the way American society acts. And of course, uh, thankfully, we have a lot of good men and women who are still willing to come to work every day and serve this city and serve cities across the United States. But at what point is enough enough? Where do we draw the line and say, we've had enough, you're treating police officers unfairly. When does the community, when does the silent majority, and I know the silent majority is watching this, when do they stand up and say, we have had enough of this ridiculous treatment of our law enforcement. It's time to get back to a society that works together to find reasonable solutions to our problems. And you know, that's, that's a difficult thing. Um, you know, People have said, let's have a rally, you know, and, and support our police. And I, and I certainly, being retired, I certainly do understand that and support uh, is great as I could ever support you. The problem I see, you know, with, with rallies is the, the other side can get 10,000 overnight, you know, and it's hard pressed for us to come up with, you know, 50, 100 people. And so, you know, I think that it, it's time to unify. It's time to solidify our, our patriotism amongst each other and not be called racist. But, you know, you see this happening to you guys constantly. And, and you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm out. I, I don't think I could deal well with the situation right now. And I certainly urge, you know, people that have their time in, you know, I'm sure you, you don't have to force them to leave at this point. Um, but it's really kind of sad. I knew that you, your numbers are, are down to begin with. And this, you know, kind of wave of people leaving certainly isn't something you need at this time. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about uh, folks coming together and rallying and, and how, we, you know, we may be able to get a thousand, but they may be able to get 10,000. Um, 
you know, first of all, we're not busing people in from other cities. We're, our city is standing up for itself. So, you know, that may be why there's a disproportionate number. But also, think about this. People that are in the silent majority that do support law enforcement, if you look at a recent poll from Vanderbilt, 83% of Nashville supports their law enforcement. They appreciate what we do. If you look from a recent poll at a recent poll from the Community Oversight Board, 83% of the respondents reported having a positive encounter with law enforcement. So yeah, by and large, our community appreciates our law enforcement. They support what we do, but they're living in a state of fear and reasonably so. We witnessed anarchists go to the courthouse and burn it down. And, and now we have council members who are trying to prevent us from being able to stop that by banning the use of tear gas to move crowds away from the courthouse so that we can mitigate fires. So, of course, the people that are part of the silent majority are scared to death because their leaders will not stand up and say, this is not acceptable behavior. They're seeing their leaders say, we want more of this. We want more destruction. We want more violence. And they're worried that they're going to be the next victim and that the leaders of their community will not stand up and say, that's not reasonable. No, it's a matter of timing, I think, at this point. It's a boiling pot, that's for sure. Um, you know, and I did want to ask you about that. I heard about, you know, the, the council was looking to remove another tool, you know, certainly tear gas. Um, it, we can't afford to lose tools at this point, you know, and, and many people have this thing with demilitarizing the police. You know, when you, when you come out in your shields and in our, you know, batons, our riot batons and things like that, they take offense to that. And I've often thought, you know, they're throwing Molotov cocktails at you guys. And yet we're not supposed to be in armored vehicles to approach them and to clear areas and things like that. Um, so I certainly hope uh, that that doesn't happen, that, you know, that you don't start losing equipment or means, um, you know, to rid these crowds because you need every tool that you have. You know, it's interesting you say that. Uh, we are asked to stand a line um, to protect property, to, pr to protect our communities. And we, we expect to be able to use equipment to defend ourselves. And the protesters are being hijacked by rioters who are literally throwing bricks, bottles, one-inch bolts at police officers' heads. And we're wearing helmets to protect ourselves from that violence. They're launching in, in, improvised explosive devices. They're throwing Molotov cocktails, shooting commercial-grade fireworks at law enforcement. And, and all the while, we have our community leaders standing up and saying, that's acceptable behavior. We should not be allowed to use tear gas to move those people away from our law enforcement officers who are standing here protecting our building. That's insane. And to say that we want to remove the ability to de-escalate a situation rather than have officers step in and use physical force what image are we projecting to the rest of society? What are we trying to do? I can tell you what we're trying to do. We're trying to villainize American law enforcement even more by taking these tools away that, that allow us to not go hands-on with a crowd, that allow us to not have to use physical force. It's going to portray an image of law enforcement officers across the country who have been demilitarized, and now they're forced to go hands-on, use physical force, violence escalates, people will get hurt and killed in that scenario. Of course we don't want to do that. Of course we want to use gas to force the crowd away from us so that we can de-escalate that confrontation and everybody can go home safe at, at night. Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny when they, when they do talk like that, de-escalation has two sides. 
you know, the other side has to be willing to come down as they're asking the police officers to. And that's not always the case for sure. I, I just want to say I'm so glad that you brought that up. Uh, de-escalation is a, t- a term that we're using nationwide to try and point the finger at law enforcement saying they're not doing their part. They need to de-escalate. Every time we go into a scenario, we are trying to de-escalate any form of aggression by using you know, verbal tactics or time, distance, and cover. Um, we are doing everything we can because an, a law enforcement officer does not want to find themselves in a physical confrontation. That is the absolute last thing we want to do. But de-escalation requires compliance. It's a two-way street. If we use a de-escalation tactic, the person on the other side of that encounter has to use reason to de-escalate themselves, whether it be an emotional encounter or or whatever it may be. If they're not willing to comply with that de-escalation, if they're not willing to de-escalate themselves, we can't, de-escalation is ineffective. And I think people are using that term as the panacea of all solutions to law enforcement when, frankly, if somebody on the other side doesn't want to de-escalate, there's not much we can do to accomplish that. That's right. That's very true. All right. Um, our current chief, Stephen Anderson, Steve Anderson, has announced his retirement, uh, which will occur, I think, over the next few months. Uh, chief Anderson has fought, you know, working far as I know, working with the community oversight board, I call them the overreach board, uh, which in turn, they've been very vocal demanding him to be fired. Uh, This community oversight board, which, which, you know, has some pretty radical members, we've kind of broken them down before, uh, wants to be involved in picking a new police chief. Uh, Where does the FOP stand on how the selection process should go? And should the uh, constant call them the constant overreach board, does the community oversight board have a say? You know, uh, I think the Metropolitan Charter is pretty clear on how selection process for department heads go. You know, uh, HR runs out a a posting and then there's a, you know, the list of applicants, there's interviews, and then uh, the mayor has the ultimate authority to select who he wants to replace the chief. Of course, when uh, Chief Anderson announced his retirement, there was a slew of people who came out and said, we want to be part of this. The FOP, after seeing that, joined into that because, of course, if everybody else gets to have their voices heard, we want to have our voices heard as well, right? Uh, But clearly, the mayor has the final say and the authority to determine who he wants to lead the police department for the next, you know, five, six, 10, 20 years, whatever it may be. I think the folks that that think that we should have an auditorium packed full of people making this decision don't realize how complicated that can be. Uh, So hopefully the leaders of our city will look at this. They will make reasonable decisions. They will choose somebody who's not only willing to work with the community, but is willing to lead our city forward in these challenging times. And and we have faith that that is what's going to happen. Uh, Bobby, uh, do you have any questions or comments uh, to the sergeant? Well, the the biggest thing for me is I'm hearing, uh, you know, just it's just so much contradiction. Everything from what is and is not the virus, you know, uh, what are and are not the laws and the rules, what can and cannot be enforced. Uh, of course, there's this. I believe it's a a small group of people uh, that are kind of going after the police, and you know, of course, mainstream media uh, is right in the middle of it. The big 
uh, question I have is what are our law enforcement officers feeling when they're actually interacting with the community right now? What, what's the, what's the, now beyond polls, beyond anything else, what, what's the, uh, the, the inter- interaction you're having with the community overall? You know, um, I referenced a community survey and a, and a Vanderbilt poll recently that shows that 83% of, of the community supports and appreciates what law enforcement does every day. And I, I still firmly believe that, um, Law enforcement officers have an incredible amount of love for the community they serve. They are willing to put a badge on their chest and come in and be community servants. And they know every day when they hug their families and they leave their home, they may not come back to see them tomorrow. How much love does it take to make that sacrifice? You know, so I I think our officers are interacting with the community as much as they can right now. They're trying to understand both sides of the perspective. Uh, but, but police, by and large, are community servants. We have been portrayed as public enemies, but we're not. We're community servants. We're public partners. And uh, that's what we'll continue to, do, to continue to be. We will continue to serve our community. We want to work with our community and uh, make Nashville a safer and stronger place. Well, I wish you guys uh, all the best in, uh, you know, in our thoughts and prayers when it comes to safety because you are the front line. Uh, Kathy, that's all I've got. I'll turn it back to you. Well, you know, as a retired police officer myself, I'm heartbroken uh, as to what's happening to you know our law enforcement brothers and sisters across the country. Um, you know, Sergeant James Small, would we thank you for your service and know, like you say, the majority of people do support and care for all of you. Uh, our prayers go out to each one of you every single day as you put on that badge to protect and serve communities. And I thank you very much. We thank you for being our guest and, and hope that you come back. And we wish much safety and, uh, you know, God bless. Well, thank you for having me on. And uh, by all means, invite me back anytime. I'm, I'm happy to have any discussion with anybody so that we can help make Nashville a safer and stronger community. Thank you. And that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, be sure to tune in again. This is the Daily Roll Call Podcast, Talking Tennessee with Kathy Henners.